We're going to reference this again, but if you have comments or questions, uh, please write them in and Jessica Corder will uh, go ahead and text them to me. And so uh, you can uh, feel free to send questions and comments on the fly. We'll try to address them as they come in instead of waiting to the end. Good evening, High Point Church of Christ. We are so glad that you chose to be with us tonight as we have another installment of our kind of mid-weeks uh, with Brad. And hopefully this is an exciting time as a church family get together and just to hopefully be able to talk about some important things and, and find some comfort. I was just mentioning that um, if you have questions or comments, don't wait till the end. Go ahead and uh, send them to me as soon as something pops into your mind. If you have a question or a comment, go ahead and send them to me. And then um, I'll, I'll be able to read those and it will impact the discussion that we're having tonight instead of waiting to the end. Uh, we're fastly coming up on Easter. And one of the, the cool things when I, that I remember growing up, it, and it still goes on today, is uh, Easter uh, is a time where the networks would show the whole Ten Commandments. How many of y'all remember seeing the Ten Commandments at Easter time? And, you know, it, it was one of the only times our parents let us stay up so long because Cecil B. DeBell's movie was, uh, was quite lengthy. Um, and so it was really a, a cool time seeing all that and Cecil B. DeMille's cast of, of thousands put that on. But one of the scenes that always got me was when the final plague was coming in. And of course, that was the, uh, the death angel coming in to take out the firstborn among the Egyptians and uh, the whole Passover and the Passover feast and Joshua running through the streets and, and painting blood above the doorpost on either side and the families quickly gathering in and shutting the door. And then you had that green fog coming down, uh, you know, the cobblestone uh, roads. And then you immediately started hearing the, the deaths and the screams and everything. And when this coronavirus thing really got up and going, I don't know why, but that really impacted me and made me kind of think about that. Uh, and that story and the correlations between that and wondering, hey, is there any way to make a, a, a connection to that? And my wife, Jill, was on Facebook last week and she said, you got to read Blank Hemphill's uh, Facebook post because he's talking about the book of Exodus and connecting it to what's going on around us. So Blake did a just a fantastic job with his study. And so I've asked him to come along uh, with us tonight. And I prepared a series of questions to ask Blake about this. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Exodus. And while we're doing that, I'm going to lift up a, a prayer for us this evening. Father, thank you so much for the ability to connect us, brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I pray this, uh, this study is profitable this evening and pray that this can be a source of encouragement as fellow brothers and sisters get together. Be with our healthcare workers, be with our leaders, be with our church, and protect us, Lord, as your family. In Christ, let me pray. Amen. So let's see if we can pull Blake up onto our format for this evening. Blake, welcome to our study. Good to have you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm honored. Yeah, so I, I thought it was really cool that you decided to spend some of your downtime, since you're not able to see too many patients in your orthodontics practice, uh, to do some study. And so 
you actually, before the virus started, you chose to spend some time in the book of Exodus. Is that correct? Yeah, it was actually not long ago. Um, I mean, for a long time, I've been infatuated with the New Testament and the life of Paul, his letters and everything. And I just not long ago realized I can't remember the last time I, I was reading through the Old Testament. And so I just decided I was going to start in Exodus because uh, my wife, Kaylee, had done uh, a BSF study last year that went through the book of Joshua and everything. And I wanted to start kind of leading into Joshua and then follow Joshua's life, too. So I started in Exodus long before I ever even heard of coronavirus. And so when this hit, there were just so many things that kind of um, clicked for me that just yeah. I could make parallels between what's happening in our world right now, because it's I can almost consider this a, a plague similar to the plagues that yeah. Um, yeah. affect you. Know, in, in your book, one of the things that you kind of laid out is something that I, I, I guess I knew this, but I hadn't really considered it, is that the plagues that, that the Lord uh, brought upon the Egyptians uh, had both a, uh, it brought about health concerns, but also had an economic impact. And of course, that's what's going on with us. So talk a little bit about the, the crippling nature on the Egyptian people of this kind of one-two punch of, of their health and then also their livelihoods. Yeah, and this is one of the things that, um, you know, if I had been reading through the book of Exodus even three years ago or so, I wouldn't have seen some of the same things I saw this time because my life is in a different stage. I have children. I'm a small business owner, open to an orthodontic practice from scratch. Mm -hmm. um, and so... As a small business, um, with the economy being affected, you know, there's implications uh, for me and my work. And so um, I hadn't thought too much before about the fact that, yes, you know, all these, some of the plagues just involved, you know, frogs and gnats and flies that were probably an annoyance, maybe some hygienic problems or maybe some infections, who knows. But um, they, but also, you know, all the crops were destroyed. Many of the livestock were destroyed. And Egypt was a world power at the time. And um, that hit me now at this stage of my life to see that it wasn't just, you know, something that affected people's uh, health, which is already enough. Um, but it, it pretty much wrecked their whole country. I mean, it took away everything that at that time would have been considered wealth. Yes, it really had to be quite disruptive to the people. And I think that's why you see uh, some of, uh, you know, Pharaoh's officials coming to him and going, hey, you know, you might want to rethink your position on this. Yeah. And something that you that um, and some of the study I did was kind of helped along by using study Bible notes. It wasn't just stuff that I was able to pick up on myself, but something I noticed and was had some things pointed out was there's really a, a true progression with the plagues. It's they're not ran in random order. Right. You know, the things that happen, um, they slowly uh, increase in their proximity towards people and towards Pharaoh himself. Um, you know, the first few plagues were just kind of these pests, gnats and flies and uh, frogs, water to blood. Um, and then all of a sudden their cattle were affected. And then the next couple of the plagues destroyed all the crops and then people's health. And then it was dark and then, you know, their family lives were, were killed with the death of firstborn and everything. So the progression of the plagues as they affect both people's health, their livelihood, the economy, um, it progresses slowly towards Pharaoh, who considered himself to be a god in and of himself. Um, 
So there's definitely the health-related concerns, economic devastation, um, all associated with the plagues. Yeah. And, you know, it, there's all kinds of studies about stresses and how if we can handle even some of the most difficult stresses in, in life, that's great. Uh, but when you start compounding them, that's when it starts becoming difficult. So one of the things you also talked about is in addition to the physical and economic damage, that these plagues were really designed to kind of tip over their spiritual apple carts. And, and really, uh, when you're in times of trial, you, a lot of people are seeking after faith. And so God kind of takes that away from them as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously it is a spiritual story. It's not just a story about an economy and a world power and a war and, uh, and slavery. It's, um, it's a spiritual story. And, um, I don't, it was a few years ago that somebody pointed this out to me about each plague targeted certain gods that the Egyptians worshiped. And the example I gave in my Facebook post, um, I just think it's the coolest one because we, it's a common God to hear about, even in like Greek mythology, to hear of the God of the sun. Um, so the Egyptians, uh, as I wrote in my post, they had five gods of the sun. Um, who knows if I'm pronouncing these right? But Re, Amun Re, Aten, Atum, and Horus were five gods of the sun that the Egyptians worshipped. So the plague number nine of darkness over the land established that God was sovereign over the sun, not these other named um powers that these Egyptians worshipped. And uh, I mean, I have a list of all the other gods we don't have to go into, but um, every one of these plagues had one or multiple gods that were um, essentially cast aside by God so that he could establish himself as the one and only almighty true God in control of everything with uh, no one even a close second. You know, it's not like he's he's the number one, but there's a number two. It's there's no one else. But um, yeah. And so yeah, that's yeah, yeah. the spiritual life of the Egyptians. And yeah. uh, it was totally um, kind of uh, shown, you know, brought to the light what they really were. Yeah, it, it kind of reminded yeah. me of the ark was with the Philistines and they came in and their ark. I mean, their god, Dagon, was laying down. So they put him back up, and the next morning they came in, and not only was he, he downed, he was just destroyed. Um, Blake, you also mined a nugget that I kind of forgot about. Um, in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 32, when Pharaoh finally agrees to let Moses lead the Israelites out of Egypt, <clears throat> Moses, uh, on your way out, can you bless me? Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think was the significance of this request? Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty fascinated by the character of Pharaoh uh, and the journey that he goes on in this and the fact that he still doesn't end up, uh, you know, he even go, when he finally lets the Egyptian or sorry, the, uh, the Israelites go, he changes his mind and goes back after him. I'm really, um, th there's a lot, there's a lot we can learn from Pharaoh. I'll, I guess I'll, that's the best way I can say it, because even though he never completed a, a, a spiritual journey toward God, um, I think God used his character, obviously, to teach us things and to um, allow what happened with his people. Um, but it's you know definitely significant, as I already 
talked about, there's a certain progression with the plagues. Um, uh, and back to all the different gods that were targeted by the plagues, the 10th plague itself was essentially meant to um, kind of establish God over all of them, not just one in particular. And that included Pharaoh himself, because like I said before, Pharaoh not only considered himself to be a god, he was considered to be a god by the Egyptian people. And the fact that even Pharaoh's own firstborn son was um, destroyed by the angel of death um, finally should have put him and everyone else who hadn't yet come around in their place as far as recognizing, okay, the God of the Israelites is the only God. Um, and you can, being in Pharaoh's position, you can sort of understand why he didn't recognize that God at first because he called himself a God of an enslaved people. That didn't seem like a very um, powerful God to him. The fact that this God is claiming that his people are my slaves. Um, but so when this final thing, again, this, the progression of these plagues lead all the way up and progress toward Pharaoh, um, he is put in his place as a God by the last plague. And that's when he finally says, you know, let's the, um, the Hebrews go. And like you said, he asks Moses, and can you bless me also as they leave? Makes me think it, like he almost, he almost came around. Uh, but he at least starts to see that, um, let's see, the way I wrote it in my post was that perhaps Pharaoh finally realized, as we should, that Yahweh is the only God whose favor is worth seeking. Um, maybe he finally saw, uh, maybe he didn't rec recognize that he was, that Yahweh was the only God, but that he was a God worth seeking the favor of yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I have to tell you, I'm seeing a note from David Ledbetter that he's talking about his son, Jonathan, that when this plague came up, this story resonated with him as well. Uh, he said they were playing with chalk uh, and knows that the red chalk was marked all over the doorway. And, you know, he said um, he had heard a voice from somewhere, didn't know where to mark the door like this. So mm -hmm. apparently this story resonates with a lot of people. I think that's that's yeah. awesome that we can connect what's happening uh, in our faith walk with what's happening around us. Um, so we, we mentioned that Pharaoh was kind of having this weak moment, realizing the, the power of God and asked for uh, Moses blessing. Do you see this kind of translating into um, maybe people seeking today that normally aren't seeking? So, um, you know, you hear these uh, anecdotal stories about uh, all the Bibles that have been half-price books have been taken off the shelves. Don't know if it's true or not, but I, I think, you know, it can be a time where God can kind of make up some ground in people's lives. What do you think? Yeah, I know. And uh, I certainly hope so, uh, obviously. Um, but interesting that, you know, this live interview in Devo came from a Facebook post of mine because I was somebody else shared a different Facebook post that I thought was also really neat. And it kind of went around a little bit, too. Um, so maybe some of our church members have seen it. But another post talking about Exodus also pointed out that, um, you know, God pretty much, again, took away the God of the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. Well, he did the same thing here in the past month or two. We had we had the God of sports that we worshiped. Now there's no longer any professional sports being played. Um, we had the God of entertainment. All the concerts were canceled. 
We had the God of money. Our economy is taking a big hit. We had the God of who knows? I mean, anything else. One by one, God was showing that these are not the gods that you need. Uh, I am the only God that you need. I'm, I am the only God. Um, and so perhaps and hopefully, like you were saying, this will lead people to look at something other than the gods. we. And we've, we're all you know, guilty in some capacity of those types of things, things that we chase after. We seek wealth and and uh, and fame or fortune or power, um, but maybe this is something that will well and and for sure now that people are so many people are stuck at home and they have more time they maybe are being with their families more they're maybe reading their Bibles more um, but I, I certainly think that that is something that God can use this for. You know, there's a passage or a phrase that a lot of people struggle with, um, whether it's during this time or other times. Um, and it's a passage that's listed or a phrase that's listed here that also Paul brings forward in the, in his, uh, letter to the Romans about God hardening the heart of Pharaoh. And so, you know, there are different interpretations of that and kind of Calvinists believe poor Pharaoh didn't have a fighting chance that God had kind of, predetermined he was going to be this vessel of destruction. And it just so happened it was on his watch that God decided to deliver his people. Uh, but Pharaoh was simply at the wrong place at the wrong time. What, what do you think? Was was yeah. Pharaoh a <clears throat> of the Lord or did he have a response out of free will? Yeah. So um, I thought about this one a lot and it is a troubling, you know, thing to, I mean, much of scripture, if we're honest with ourselves, is troubling in the way that it calls us to live, for one thing. Uh, but it is troubling to read when that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Um, so follow me on this one. And I apologize to anyone that's out there if I'm looking down a lot. I have a lot of notes in front of me. Um, this can't go by uh, memory all the time. But so follow me on this because um, I do think this is um, a really important point. Some of it. I, again, learned from my study Bible notes, other connections I was able to make. But yes, so in the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, there were three declarations of God saying, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. There are six. And then among the hardenings themselves, uh, six times scripture says Yahweh hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Seven times, or I'll say three times, uh, it just says, it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then seven other times, it simply says Pharaoh's heart was hardened. So there are definitely instances where we're told that Pharaoh did it himself, in addition to the times where it's stated that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. The first time it's mentioned at all is uh, chapter 4, verse 21, which is when God is first calling Moses back to Egypt. So I'll read it real quick. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And then, you know, that hardening of Pharaoh's heart continues all the way through chapter 14 uh, many, many times. Um, but I want to quickly actually just read one of the notes that's in my study Bible that opened up to the rest of my thoughts. It says the heart refers to the whole of the intellect, will, and emotions from which a person acts. The various Hebrew verbs 
uh, these scriptures were written in ancient Hebrew originally. The various Hebrew verbs used to describe the hardening of Pharaoh's heart all refer to a desire to act contrary to the Lord rather than in accord with him. The hardening of Pharaoh's heart is referred to throughout chapters 4 to 14 with the implication that Pharaoh is answerable for his own actions. Uh, however, the Lord states here that it is his sovereign hand that ultimately governs the events. This is also indicated by the recurring, as the Lord had said. Though one might conclude that if God hardens someone's heart, the latter is not answerable for his actions, this is not the biblical view. And certainly here, the narrative is also careful to point out that Pharaoh has also hardened his own heart in several instances. The sinner remains responsible for his sin. So that was the end of the study Bible note. And it obviously brings to light that, again, while it sometimes says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and other times it says he hardened his own heart. And the scripture that you just referred to is, uh, I think, is Romans 9, verse 16 to 18, which says, So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show you my power and that in my name might be proclaimed that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. So, again, that contributes to the kind of troubling nature of the, the wording of Scripture, where it says that God has mercy on whom he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. So the tough question, does that take away um, our freedom of choice? I want to propose this alternative, or at least this thought. Um at the same time, as we think about potentially Pharaoh's condemnation, those of us who have faith should know that it also is a gift from God. Uh, and I have some scripture I'm gonna that I want to look at to, to back that up. Uh, because I'll read them really quickly. Acts 18:27 says, "And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, through grace, had believed." They didn't believe and then receive grace or mercy. It was God's grace that allowed them to believe. In other words, our faith is not even of our own. Our faith is from God. Acts 13, 48 says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Those who were appointed to eternal life believed. Uh, so the author Luke, with, I'm reading again from study Bible notes here, Luke, without contradiction, maintains a dual emphasis on divine election, the appointed, and on human response, those who believed. The emphasis here is on the way in which divine sovereignty or appointment resulted in the belief of the Gentiles. The appointment of God resulted in their belief. So I just want to say at the same time, uh, those of us who have faith know that it's a gift from God. So should we say also that we don't have any control or responsibility for our own salvation if we say that Pharaoh is not responsible for his own condemnation? Um, and I don't yeah. think so. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, and I, I want to drill down this a little bit more, even if we don't get to the rest of our questions, because yeah. uh, Amy Siebert and Alicia Rule and Kiani are, are have always struggled with this and I don't know what you did to Ryan Ishmael, but he said he forgives you. So uh, it, I don't know what that's about, but that's great. Um, I, 
I had a professor. Oh, uh, so that was me saying sorry for looking down a bunch at my notes. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. So John Willis, one of my professors at ACU, talked about that this passage is, is really that when God comes near and close to us, it reveals what's already going on in our heart. Yes. And it's almost like a heat lamp coming down. And yeah. if our, uh, you know, butter and clay are both have kind of the same consistency, but when the heat comes in, the butter melts. And when the heat comes in, the clay gets hard. And so it, it's the same pressure coming from God, but yes, a different reaction. And, you know, I've heard that compared to both Saul, King Saul and King David stepped outside of God's will. But yet when God confronted Saul, his heart grew bitter and he went and talked with, you know, the, the witch of Endor and, you know, he turned his, because he felt the presence of God leave him, but yet, David was creating me a new heart of a God boy. And so he humbled himself. So my final thought on this or is, or my conclusion is, um, I think it resonates with some of what you're saying that God knows the heart and there is certainly evidence of God in our world. And there was evidence of God to the Egyptians or should have been evidence through these plagues, but to those whose hearts are willing, the evidence for God is undeniable, but to those whose hearts are unwilling, the evidence for God is unbelievable, not believable. And God uses both people whose hearts are already oriented toward or away from him to accomplish his purposes. In Pharaoh's case, if there had been an instance where he maybe would have let the people go if God had not hardened his heart, he would have been doing so uh, to save his skin, you know, not out of faith because he had a heart that was unwilling. And we know that because there were other times he hardened his own heart. But God hardened his heart in those times because he had more he wanted to do there. He had a plan. So I think um, I think your your heat lamp example was good because it revealed what was already there. Um, so. so Robert Mitchell brings up a good point. He said, uh, if God uses you by forcing an action, he wouldn't hold you accountable for that particular action. Um, I. I feel like that the 10 plagues, as you kind of talked about, I love the idea of the concentric circles coming in and getting closer and closer to Pharaoh. It's to me, that's kind of an Old Testament example of grace that uh, God slowly ramped things up to get closer and closer to Pharaoh, give him a chance to make the right choice. And he chose ultimately not to. So let's move on to this next question. Um, sometimes, uh, in times like this, uh, God followers ask, why do good things happen or why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, but you have an interesting observation about the first three plagues and what God, God might be intending from this process that I hadn't really considered. Yeah. And obviously the question of why do bad things happen to good people is not one we can answer on this, uh, short you know, live call. Uh, there are books written about that, entire books. <laughs> you say, why? <laughs> it's, um, but in this uh, story of the plagues, yeah, the, the, and this is something I, I think I knew at one point, but was reminded of reading it again. The first three plagues affected both the Egyptians and the Israelites. Um, 
It wasn't until plague number four that God made a distinction between Egypt and the land of Goshen where Israel dwelt at the time. And so why would he allow this um, if he called himself the God of Israel and if his plan and purpose was to bring them out of slavery from the Egyptians? Um, and I, be- I mean, I believe that the Israelites, which also forced, and I'm kind of looking at my Facebook writing here too, but this also foreshadowed their wavering devotion in the future. Yeah. Um, they lost their sense of devotion to God in their in the midst of their current circumstances. And um, in Exodus 5, the foremen of the Israelites were going to Pharaoh because they had because Moses had already been um, talking to Pharaoh about letting the people go. Pharaoh decided you're at you're requesting this because you're lazy. And so we're going to increase the burden of your work. And that's when they took away the straw for the Israelites to make bricks and they but still demanded the same quota. And they couldn't do it. So the Israelite foreman went to Pharaoh and voiced their concerns, which were legitimate concerns. But while they're talking to Pharaoh in two verses, uh, Exodus 5, verses 15 and 16, they're talking to Pharaoh. And three times they call themselves your servants. And when I read that again uh, through this time, as I'm reading through Exodus, it made me think that they've forgotten who they truly serve. If they're telling, if we're, they're calling themselves your servants, the Pharaoh, they've forgotten who they truly serve, and um, so I think that the plagues, um, the first three plagues affecting the Israelites as well, needed that they needed that God needed them to have that to serve as a reminder for them. Obviously, we know the story of the plagues as God showing Himself to the Egyptians, but I think it was re-showing himself to the Israelites as well. Um, because, you know, the, the Israelites calling themselves your servants to Pharaoh, it seems like they feared Pharaoh more than they feared God. And if they really knew, um, since you brought up David earlier, we can say if, we, if they had the, the faith of David, they would have not questioned their enemies. I mean, David walked right up to Goliath. With no doubt. So powerlessness that, the Israelites had and that they're still under bondage, but yet they're trying to trust Pharaoh. I mean, trying to trust Moses that he's going to deliver them. So there's that kind of in between of, okay, it's going to be harder to go through this, but I think those plagues help them to see, Hey, the God that is trying to lead us out is stronger than our taskmasters. Uh, And I think sometimes in this, this virus, we're reminded of, of our humanity. We're reminded of how powerless we are in these things. And uh, boy, there, there's a lot of messages for us as well. Um, so, you know, I, I agree. It's going to be hard for us to figure out why good things happen uh, to bad people. But I think we're also reminded that we're in an imperfect world uh, and times like this should cause us to long for the world to come and to long to be closer to our heavenly father that provides that rock and that salvation. Uh, as we close out the discussion for tonight, um, I, I don't want to leave with why do bad things happen to good people, but more uh, give, give us a word of encouragement that you received from the book of Exodus. Yeah, there's a, a few things I want to finish with here. First of all, uh, and it's not so common for us nowadays to use the name Yahweh for God, but that's who how he established himself. Um, but, you know, the word Yahweh 
uh, when he first used it to Moses, and it was repeated later by Jesus in the book of John, which was one of the things that caused, um, you know, Jewish leaders to, to claim blasphemy. Um, the word Yahweh means I am. And there was there's a note in here that what what is being stated by the divine name Yahweh, I am, is that God is self-existent and therefore not dependent on anything else, that he is creator and sustainer, and that he is immutable. In other words, not in the process of becoming something different uh, in his being and in his character. He is, that's why I said, I am who I am. I am what I am. It's, it's set. It's not changeable. Um, it's not changing. And I don't depend on anything. Uh, so I think that was a really cool thing to be reminded of. God is, and he's the sustainer, and he's the creator. Absolutely. Um, and I also thought it was very interesting that when Moses first contested, you know, by saying, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Um, in chapter 3, verse 12, uh, it's it says, he said, God said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And I thought uh, about this for the first time reading this. But isn't it strange that God says the sign uh, that it's me that sent you comes after you've already brought them out? Yeah. He says, this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. He said, how do I know? God said, you'll get a sign. But you won't get the sign until you've done it. And so I think that's an encouragement for us to not require, um, you know, God show me, you know, give me some sign that this is the right thing to do. Um, if we're following him, we may get a sign, but it might not come yet. It might come later. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Um, another thing I want to mention is that there are, this is a journey I've been on lately, not just because of the book of Exodus, but I've seen through a lot of scripture that even though the Bible follows the story of the Israelites, there's little clues throughout that show that God was all the time working in the hearts of men outside of Israel as well. And a few examples of this here. Uh, well, the first one that will ring true a lot with people since Easter's coming up and um, we think about Jesus's resurrection. If we go back to Jesus's birth, the very first people to ever worship the baby Jesus came from the east. Where's that? They probably came from Babylon or Persia. These were not Jews. The very first people to ever worship Jesus were not Jews. But God communicated with them through dreams. And so, and then back to Exodus, uh, when Moses first escapes and leaves Egypt, he flees to Midian, where when he meets, you know, and saves these women shepherdesses at the well, they were um, the daughters of Jethro, the priest. And for the first time ever reading this, I, I looked at that and asked myself, they had a priest in Midian? They weren't Jews. How did they have priests? So God was working in the hearts of other people as well. Uh, and then the last good example of it is when the Israelites finally left Egypt, and left slavery. It states that there was a mixed multitude that left Egypt with them. So. I mean, my my guesses are there were probably other slaves that served Egypt who were enslaved alongside Israel. And 
that left with them. And I think there's potential that there were some Egyptians that left with them. Uh, those who whose hearts were truly turned by the plagues. Because even, you know, right after that, when God's starting to give them instructions about the Passover and how to continue um, uh, celebrating the Passover for the rest of their uh, Jewish lives, um, God refers to how aliens living among them and foreigners and sojourners are what they must do to be able to be allowed to participate in that Passover. But he does provide ways for uh, foreigners to come inside of um, God's people. And so I think that was, you know, really encouraging to know that God can work anywhere um, outside of what we, I mean, we aren't Jewish in our church, but um, in whatever you call God's people, he works outside of that too. He, he wants us to participate in his work, but he doesn't need us to participate in his work because he can communicate with men on his own. So those were a few things that I thought were really uh, big lessons that I learned in this study. Um, but as for finishing with, you know, words of encouragement, the uh, original post that I did finishes with three sections of scripture. And I spliced the words out just to just to um, have the words about people's prayers. Um, so I'll just read them and then I guess we'll be done. But Exodus 2, verses 23 to 25, the people cried out for help. Their cry for rescue came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant. God saw the people, and God knew. Exodus 3, 7 to 9, I have surely seen the affliction of my people and have heard their cry. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them. Behold, the cry of the people has come to me. And Exodus 6, 5 to 7. I have heard the groaning of the people, and I have remembered my covenant. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out, and I will deliver you, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So those are awesome words. I think those are prayers that we can pray right now. They're applicable to our current life and situation, and the promises from God are that he hears our cries. So um, that's that's all I got. And I echo the words of Amy Sievert and Kiani and Harriet uh, DeLauder and uh, Carrie Smith and uh, Wil uh, Wilmer and the Baileys. Uh, thank you for the time and the effort you put into the study and for challenging us to connect this important passage, what's going on around us. Uh, yeah. If you don't mind, why don't you pray us out with uh, a, a prayer of hope for us? Absolutely. Thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight thankful that we still have, uh, as one of my friends recently prayed, Lord, I'm not sure I've ever thanked you for technology before, but thank you that we have the technology that allows us now uh, to continue to connect with our church family and even with others um, uh, who we connect with on a daily basis. and. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for your word, most of all, uh, that through it we can see you and know you uh, to some extent and uh, just learn about you and find out how we can be in close relationship with you. We thank you for the way that your word can um, be written on our hearts and thank you for opening our eyes uh, 
through your words and through others uh, to reveal what your words mean and just help us to take encouragement from um, from the scriptures and specifically in this time in our lives, encouragement from your story uh, of bringing your people out of their, their sufferings. And uh, we know, Father, that you are the only true God, that you are in control, um, that you want our fully repentant hearts. And um, so just help us to turn back to you and help this be a time where our nation turns back to you. Um, use us uh, in your efforts to that end and help us to be um, good stewards of your word and of your people. Um, and we just we praise you, God, for being sustainer and creator. And we're th so thankful that um, that you hear our cries, that you hear our prayers and that you remember your promises to your people, uh, that you provide for them and uh, that our words come up to you and you hear them and you know us and you know our suffering. And uh, we thank you mostly for Jesus. Uh, we thank you for uh, him being your son and him claiming to be your son, going to the cross on our behalf and uh, to save us um, from our sins and from our uh, from our suffering uh, to be called up with you. Bless us, Father, as we um, try to use the time that we're given now to refocus our lives and, and to reach out to others. Thank you for this week leading up to um, a celebration of Jesus's resurrection. Uh, without it, we have no hope. Um, thank you for him, and just please be with us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, one last thing. Um, if you haven't had a chance to see Maggie's class uh, on intercessory prayer uh, last week and this week, you can see it online. It's just a fantastic study. And then Kevin Canterbury's uh, stuff on seeing the unseen is just fantastic. So that will be released tomorrow as well if you want to pick up on that. And then something we're uh, hoping to start and get cranked up this next week during the noon hour. Uh, so noon to one o'clock is kind of time uh, if you need uh, prayer or counsel to have a shepherd or staff member available to kind of field those calls. And so we'll give you a link if you'd like to call in and have something you want us to pray with you about or talk about. Um, it'll be kind of first come first serve. So you may have to wait until um, someone's ready, but uh, we wanna make that technology and, and give you that opportunity to be able to respond and, and talk with someone if you'd like to. But Blake, thank you again very much. And sure. I appreciate the time you put into this. Yeah. And I have a blessed week.